You're listening to the Co-Creator Network. When you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. Good afternoon. Welcome to Why Shamanism Now, a practical path to authenticity with your host, Christina Pratt. Director of the Last Mask Center for Shamanic Healing. She's talking about how shamanic skills can bring us to physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual well-being, especially when nothing else can. Now, here's your host, Christina Pratt. Welcome, everyone. This is your host, Christina Pratt, and I say welcome on this very auspicious day. On this day this show is being recorded, it is the solstice in 2010. It is also the day of a total lunar eclipse um, on a full moon. It's quite a day. And on this day, I'd like to call in the ancestors to be with us here today. I ask for all those who, are, who bring that which is good and true and beautiful in our ancestral lines to come, to gather around, not just for me, not just for those listening in this moment, but for those who will listen in any moment over time and space. I call out to those ancestors who lived well and died well and come to us now as ancestral helping spirits. And I ask you at this time, this auspicious time in our existence here on the planet, for those of you who've been here before, I call out to you ancestors to give us another chance to speak a little more insistently Tap on our shoulder one more time. Whisper in our ear one more time that we might know you and recognize you this time and say hello and thank you and begin to develop the right relationship between the living and the dead, those who have gone before us. So I call out to those ancestors to be with us here today, to be patient with us and generous with us and to come to us and help us to make right relationship with you. And I call out to the energy of the earth below, and I ask you to help us to understand how to make right relationship with you. How do we learn to walk with passion in our lives, but walk with a small footprint, one that leaves behind in its wake love and compassion, growth and diversity. So we call out to the energy of the earth and all of the wonder of her dreaming that brought life to this planet. And we ask her to help us to wake up to the fact that we are dreamers, and we are dreaming this reality we live in into existence. We ask the earth to, thank, to take our thanks for our life, and yet to help us in each day to manifest a better life, better relationship with ourselves, with each other, with the spirit world, and with the environment around us. We ask you to help us to understand that we belong, that we are connected and interconnected to all living things. And let us come to understand this energetic reality as the truth in our heart. And we ask you, uh, sweet spirit, great spirit of the earth, to help us to have the courage to listen to that awareness in the heart and know how to go forward in this new year in a good way in a better way than we have before. And with our feet firmly planted on the earth, from whom we draw grounding and connection and belonging, we reach up from our hearts and our minds and our energy up into the skies, filled on this day with auspiciousness, with great cosmic convergences. And we call out 
to that energy above, reaching through all the wonders of the universe to the highest power. And by whatever name you call that power, call it down, bringing into our conversation and into our lives generosity and blessing, the power of blessing to allow those who are doing it to do it with just that much more ease, to allow those who are suffering to have respite and a break from that suffering, to to allow those who are just about to give up to try that one more time and know that this time it will work. So we call out to that energy above to bring us that blessing, bring us the generosity and benevolence of our world and to draw down protection, guidance and inspiration that we might do what we have come into this life to do. So with the earth below and the sky above drawn together in our own beings and the ancestors circled round with all of our helping spirits gathered, we call out to the energy of the heart and may we each use what occurs here today in this show to help to inspire the passions of the belly and bring in the wisdom of the mind to merge these energies in the heart that we might know why we are here and use this day to bring that unique genius into full manifestation. So I welcome you all today to Why Shamanism Now. And I give thanks to all of the listeners over the year who have sent in questions or called in questions or um, communicated in some way and helped the show to grow and respond to you and your needs. And I also give thanks to those of you who have donated to the show over the past year. It is my goal next year that the show be entirely listener supported if possible. And this is the essence. In the heart of shamanism is that willingness to be powerfully in the world so that your heart can be available to be moved by life, by others, by the beauty in the world, by the sadness in the world. But to be moved by life and allow that movement in the heart to move you into action. Let your, let, in other words, to let yourself be motivated by the heart. Not in a silly, ridiculous, namby-pamby, pop song way but in a real, grounded, passionate way to let that which has beauty and meaning for you be the thing that motivates and guides you in life. So if this show today or any of the shows throughout the year have been meaningful to you, I ask you to allow that meaning and movement in your heart to guide you into action. We've made it as simple as we possibly can. Well, not quite. We've made it as simple as we can at at the beginning. Um, you can go to the whyshamanismnow.com website and click the support button and donate any amount you choose to. We'll endeavor next year to make it even simpler for those of you who have asked for a way to make a regular monthly donation. And we, will, we are looking into that right now. So thank you all for your donations. Thank you all for your questions. And thank you all for listening. And thank you all for sharing uh, with others about this show. So today's show is about ethics and the first shaman. You know, what are the ethics of shamanism, of uh, contemporary shamanic practice? This is actually um, a more challenging question than you might think. Um, And it's a a perfect day to be speaking of it. So this, as I've said, today is the solstice, the winter solstice of, well, winter for us, summer for those of you in the southern hemisphere. But it is the solstice, one way or the other, um, on the planet. And it is also... Um, a day of the full moon on the planet, and it has been a day of a full lunar eclipse. And um, those who read the omens uh, in the skies 
um, have much to say about this time. And I um, checked in with Lena Stevens um, of Jose and Lena Stevens who have um, thepowerpath.com. It's a wonderful shamanic site. They do great shamanic work in the world. Um, Lena's um, por- uh, astrological information is extremely um, wonderful resource out there on the internet. So it's thepowerpath.com. And what Lena says about this time, the auspiciousness of this moment, is that it is imperative that you stay away from any situations where conflict, violence, argument, or disagreement is anywhere present. Keep your energy focused and clean. Make sure to do something special to honor this day. Set your intentions, write your wish lists for the year, and treat this solstice as the true beginning of a new year. If you are still dealing with situations that do not have closure, do something symbolic, such as a burning ceremony or something um, around the issues to acknowledge your intention of completion. Practice gratitude for the elements, nature, and your allies and all, that he- and all the help that is always available. So this is the guidance um, for today, how to use this day in a good way, to use the power of this day to benefit you in your life and us by making this a day that you take steps to bring your gifts into the world. So what did the early people do? How did they deal with conflict and violence and argument and disagreement? I mean, people are people and we haven't really changed that much around these things. How shall we, as contemporary people, deal with conflict, violence and disagreement? As we enter into the new year, let us consider this. Could we do this differently? Do we have the capacity to imagine a way to do this differently? Yes, I believe that we do. Could we be making better quality decisions around things that involve conflict and violence and disagreement? Absolutely. There is no shortage of spirit help for any one human being. No one is alone. All we need is to connect with that spirit help to begin to make better quality decisions in our life. And at the very least, you can each ask yourself in this new year, where can I diminish conflict, violence, and disagreement within myself? That is, of course, the most potent place to start. So how did early people deal with conflict, violence, argument, and disagreement? These things that we must stay away from on this day and set our focus and attention for the new year. Well, early people learned from the first shaman of the people because, of course, everybody's name for themselves translates to the people. So early people learned from the first shaman of the people like white buffalo calf woman here in North America. All the people have a first shaman. The first shaman is said to have come from the sky or the upper world, responding to the needs of the people on earth. The first shaman had great powers and godlike supernatural gifts like the ability to fly, to shapeshift, and to live outside of the limitations of space and time. The first shaman was most often a divine androgynous being who moved seamlessly between genders as needed to help humanity on earth. In the story of White Buffalo Calf Woman, she shapeshifts. The first shaman often shifts genders, shifts between animal and human, sometimes human and plant, 
The first shaman wasn't limited to form and was able to take whatever shape was necessary to communicate to the people what they needed to know about how to live in a good way. In many cultures, the story of the first people and that of the first shaman are inextricably interwoven. These creation stories tell of a wondrous, paradise-like time in the beginning when animals and humans and plants and all the beings of the spirit world, all the different realms, were able to communicate easily and lived as one. And anyone then could move between the realms without obstruction. So humans could be in the god realm and the gods were in the human realms. And all the beings lived in a state of freedom and health and communication and trust in which death was unnecessary. Which is a very interesting thing to think about given our current day understanding and acceptance of karma and the need to do it over again. You know, what if we lived the life in such a way that death and the chance to do it over wasn't necessary? What if we could live in such good relationship, good balance with ourselves and with the environment, with other people, with the spirit world, all the realms, happened with such freedom and grace and love that there was no need for death? Well, anyway, as the story goes, through some mysterious misdeed or dysfunction of some kind that no one seems to clearly remember or understand, the communication between the realms was broken. Communication between the physical and the spiritual worlds in particular became harder. Not that the worlds were not connected, but that the communication between them became harder. It's kind of like when you... You and your husband or your wife, you and your spouse are living together in the same house but can, can, no, can no longer communicate. It's like that. And we know that feeling where the realms haven't parted. We're all still right here together. But for the life of us, we cannot communicate. So that happened. And uh, so the communication between the physical and spiritual worlds became harder and harder and harder. And all the sentient beings gradually lost their original wisdom. And in that original wisdom was of not only the ability to communicate, but my sense of it is that there was a kind of internal checks and balances. All of the different kinds of sentient beings had different kinds of wisdom, of original wisdom. And since they were all communicating and and moving together, they kept each other in balance because they learned from each other. And um, when we can't communicate, then we can't learn from each other. And so that original wisdom gets lost or got lost. All right. So as the story continues, the humans, no longer living in balance with all things, uh, began to experience suffering and illness and eventually death. Humans needed someone to risk the dangerous passage across that broken bridge of communication between the worlds to teach them how to survive in their new world where they were disconnected from things uh, or perceived disconnection from things because they'd lost that capacity to communicate. And if any of you have ever um, experienced a loved one going deaf, you can see this happening. The loved one is still loved and they love you and it's all still possible, but their inability because of their growing deafness to communicate cuts them off. It's not, it's this, 
my sense is in, in, it has benefited many religious systems to talk about the realms themselves being apart. And, and, and it has, has helped to reinforce the idea that we are separate and that we are alone and thus we need to follow the rules. And what I see in these early stories of the first people and of the first shaman, which we'll get to here in a minute, is it's not that there was a disconnection literally in space or time or any of that, that the disconnection was in the heart and in the mind, that it was in that loss of the capacity to communicate but also to, to, to hold the state of being within yourself that someone else can succeed in communicating with you. When I teach, I call it having generous ears. Because when you talk with people, you can tell, are they trying to argue with me? Are they listening and setting up their rebuttal? Or are they actually listening in a way to try to understand what I'm saying? And to under- try to, to listen in a way that you're really trying to understand what someone's saying is to listen with generous ears. But anyway, the point is, we lost the connection through because we lost the communication. And the humans desperately needed some way to cross that bridge of broken communication between the worlds to reconnect with the original wisdom of the other beings. Because human beings, man, left to their own devices, are a disaster. So I'm going to stop the story here for a moment. So as, as the story went, it said humans, no longer living in balance with all things, began to experience suffering. We are humans no longer living in balance with all things. As I continue this show today, consider that this all could be a metaphor for you, this this macrocosm story of your microcosm, that the story of the first shaman could could simply be a metaphor writ large on in mythic level, uh, scale for you to risk finding that energy of the first shaman inside of yourself to decide this is the year you will learn to journey. You will make your connection with the helping spirits in your life or your ancestors, but you will take that step to create um, an ongoing working relationship with spirit in your life. So what if this is the first day of the new year and you decide to become your own first shaman in the lineage of your life? What if you said today, I am done living out of balance with everything in my life, including myself. I'm done. I can't go on living out of balance, particularly with myself. So what if you decided today that instead of losing weight or spending better quality time with the people you love as New Year's resolutions, you decided to do one single thing. I will learn to journey this January and work with spirit as the first shaman did to bring balance into my life. That could be your single New Year's resolution. And if you were to do that and act on that single resolution, you can still eat everything you want. You don't have to go to the gym if you don't want to. And you can actually still be horrible to the people that you love. But if you learn to journey and start working with spirit, all those places of imbalance will start to take care of themselves if you allow the spirits to teach you to be a better person. Because that is what the story of the first shaman is about. So, we'll go back to the story then. Think of it. Listen with the possibility that it could be a metaphor for you. 
Now, if you're actually already a shamanic practitioner and listening to this show, we will talk about that at the end of the show. But even for those of you that are just listening because you're just interested in shamanism, maybe this is the first show of this whole series you found of the hundred shows that are out there. What if today was the day, the first day of the new year, that you decided the thing you will bring that is different into this new year is a working relationship with spirit? Someone to problem solve with you. Someone to help you learn to make better quality decisions. And in the doing of that, to come to understand who you are, why you are here, and the true nature of the world that you live in. And in that, continuing to assist you to come into better and better balance in your life and to inspire that behavior in others. So back to the story. The humans. Say the humans are no longer living in balance with all things, so we can relate to them because we're doing the same thing. So they begin to experience suffering, illness, and death after a time of great harmony in their, lo- in their existence on the planet. And the humans needed someone to risk the dangerous passage across the broken bridge of communication between the worlds to teach them how to survive in this new situation. And the first shaman, regardless of what culture, the first shaman is a hero, god, goddess, who brings knowledge and skills across that broken bridge of communication. In some stories, the first shaman is all God. In some stories, the first shaman is part God, part human. In all the stories, the first shaman has fallen in love with our potential and is willing to help us in that sort of trickstery way to puzzle out that aspect of being a human that is so uh, prickly and problematic. So, the first shaman brings the teachings necessary for survival in all aspects of daily life, both ordinary and non-ordinary. And so, what that means practically, and in these stories of the first people, the first shaman often brings uh, the wisdom of how to plant the beans, or how to plant the corn, how to... um, um, the, the ethics for functioning as a person in the world, the moral uh, principles for the community to function well. The first shaman also brings usually either the the sacred plant that allows the people to enter into an altered state and connect with spirit to cross the broken bridge again themselves. So it would be peyote for the wuchol or ayahuasca for the shuar would be the sacred plants. So often the first shaman not only teaches them to feed themselves, but how to stay in communication with the other realms themselves. So so the first shaman brings the teachings necessary for survival in ordinary and non-ordinary reality. And so, of course, inherent in the story is the belief that having connection with spirit, regular access to spirit energies is necessary for survival. So the first shaman brought the teachings for how to live in good relationship with oneself, with each other, with the ancestors and the beings of the spirit world, and with the physical environment, both the physicality of it and the spirit energies of it. What places are sacred? Where should you cultivate? Where do you not cultivate? Where can you live? Where should you not live? All of that kind of um, information about the physical environment. 
The first shaman taught the people how to hunt, how to gather, how to plant, how to heal, and how to conduct rituals. The first shaman taught the shamans then to journey to the spirit realm. Um, And that could have been through techniques or by bringing the sacred plants. So the cultures and traditions and civilizations and societies were all built on the knowledge brought by the first shaman. And so as the stories unfold of the first shaman, it is the first shaman that taught the next shaman. And this is important because, of course, the next shaman was 100% human. Now, remember, the first shaman is almost always in part or in full a being of another realm. So anyway, the first shaman taught the next shaman, a human shaman, how to work with the spirits, how to conduct ritual and ceremony and to serve the people. And this is important for us as contemporary shamans to realize that each shaman, though human, endeavored to walk the path of that first godlike shaman. Uh, From this effort comes the morals and the ethics of the practice, as well as the continual need for personal sacrifice, cleansing, and transformation to stay on that path of the first shaman. And so traditional teachings uh, of the first people for their shamans, either literally or um, not just symbolically, but they retrace the steps of the first shaman in some way. There is some effort, uh, great effort made by the human to function morally and ethically by the standards laid down by a being that wasn't even human. And, and this, is, this is actually what true shamans are saying when they say no one in their right mind wants to be the shaman. When they talk about the path being incredibly hard, this is what they're talking about is that the standard, the true standard for the shaman was laid down by a god. <laughs> and so <laughs> it's really um, a, a lot to live up to. But the important thing about this it is, is that it is this. Um, so then the morals and the ethics of the first people were divinely given. And so much of the um, healing ritual and ceremony of um, uh, pre-contact shamanic people have to do with solving the, the physical problems like nothing to hunt or the crops aren't growing or the babies are all dying of some bizarre illness has to do with the people, the community, bearing their hearts, apologizing, giving gratitude, um, uh, making right the transgressions against each other and returning to the morals and ethics that were handed down by the first shaman. This, you know, saying this is what is necessary for you all to live in harmony. And as a minimum, you know, not as something to aspire to, but as a minimum, this is necessary. And so the ethics of a shamanic practice don't come out of, you know, modern medicine. They don't come out of the ethics of a typical um, counselor or psychiatrist today. The ethics for a shamanic practitioner come from the first shaman. They are handed down from the gods. And I don't mean that to sound grandiose. I mean that for us to understand that your shamanic practitioner needs to be functioning in an old, old paradigm 
to rise to the moral and ethical standard that was really set by the first shaman. It is not good enough to be a contemporary person and um, add shamanism to your bag of tricks as another modality you have to offer to your clients and patients because you're not functioning in not only the cosmology and belief system, but the ethical and moral standards set out to engage with people's souls, frankly. And when you think about the fact that we're not just fixing broken legs, we're fixing broken souls, the morals and the ethics of that person, the moral, moral and ethical demands on that person are extreme. And so that's what shamans mean when they say no one in the right mind wants to do this. It's really hard. Um, so with that said, back to the first shaman. So where were we? Okay, so the importance of, of this um, statement that that for the human shamans then to follow the path of the first shaman requires um, a continual need for personal sacrifice and cleansing and transformation, that that first initiation is nowhere near enough, and it only sets you up for all those that will come on and on for the rest of life. And so the importance of this cannot be underestimated. The ethics of the practice of a contemporary shaman must come through the line of shamans, not from the modern world. I mean, look around people. The modern world is largely unethical right now, at least in America. We'll speak for ourselves. The modern world is pretty largely unethical. Now, the, sh- the, the spirits the, that shamans work with come from an amoral world, but not an immoral world. And those are very, very different worlds. And right now, we're living in an unethical and largely immoral world. And we, as the shamanic practitioners in this contemporary time, need to understand that that in and of itself is one of the imbalances we are charged to deal with. And we cannot possibly affect it in any way positively if we have not dealt with that imbalance within ourselves. So as shamans, we must look for the first shaman, for the ethics of the practice, regardless of the time that we practice in. But who is your first shaman? As a contemporary person who learned what to do through workshops and trips to Peru or to South Africa or to Nepal or wherever it is that you went, who is your first shaman? Because that is who you must go to. So... And I say this because in, in my path, I was really left to my own devices most of the time because I never found, other than learning some basic skills initially, I never found a teacher. You know, I was never tapped by a shaman. You know, I didn't wander in the village like John Lockley and have the, the shaman say, where have you been? I've been waiting for three years. You know, I, I never had that. So what I had was I was left to my own devices and there were moments I'd be so confused and so frustrated. I would just say, well, there had to have been a first shaman not having any idea what that meant. I mean, I was speaking utterly out of logic and naivete. I had no idea there was a capital F first, capital S shaman. I didn't, I didn't get that concept yet. I was just fumbling around with my helping spirits trying to figure things out. And logically, when I would really get in a mess, I would say, okay, now look, Christina, there was a first shaman who had no help as well. Not understanding, of course, that that first shaman was a god. I just figured, okay, somewhere there was a first shaman and that first shaman had to figure it out themselves too because there was no one around to teach them. There were no other teachers, so figure it out. And so my journeys in that time of my life 
were often, you know, given the situation, whatever situation I was in, whatever mess I had made, I would journey to my helping spirits and say, well, what did the first shaman do? Utterly naive and not knowing how powerful and correct that question was. I mean, I, I was certainly not doing that out of wisdom. I was doing it utterly out of desperation. And through that time, most couple years time of journeying often to ask, well, what would the first shaman do? These journeys were incredibly clear and powerful. And that's how I began to understand that the spirits are teaching us, that they're not here just to answer our questions. They're teaching us. And I came to really understand that deeply. And I would be so confused when I would talk with my colleagues because they didn't get that because, not because they couldn't, but because they hadn't asked that question because they had teachers, right? So they went to humans and they asked and they got answers and I didn't have teachers, So I asked, what would the first shaman do? And got these incredible answers. They were really powerful journeys. And I didn't understand why until much later in life when I realized there is a first shaman of every lineage. And that first shaman was most likely God-like or a god. And that that shaman teaches us how to live in the world. And that everything in every shamanic lineage comes down to us from that. So, um, here's some examples of first shamans. So, this is a Tamang um, Bampo. Um, a small portion of the vast Tamang, uh, I'm sorry, Tamang uh, people are in Nepalish area of the world. Okay, so a small portion of the vast Tamang co- cosmology explains that in the first age, humans lived free of sickness, aging, or bad qualities. I've heard that before, right? In the second age, sacrifices and rituals developed. In the third age, passions and illness arose from conflicting and contradictory ideas. So once again, the challenge arose from the inability to communicate completely. In the fourth age, the poisons arose. Greed and cruel rulers, slavery, suffering, death, danger, war, pain, and material obsession. So it sounds like we're still in the fourth age. Nonetheless, the first shaman, Nara Bonchen, appeared inspired by humanity's need. Nara Bonchen battled the disharmonious spirits and sorcerers who were the cause of poverty and sickness. In his final battle, he fought with nine witch sisters that came to a truce agreement. And in that agreement, the witches could continue to cause illness for humanity but could no longer extract payment and blood sacrifices. In exchange, the shamans would be able to heal humanity of these illnesses. The Zuni people. So there's a key episode in the Zuni creation mythology, and this story tells of how the, um, I can't even pronounce this word, Ilhamana, which was a gender-variant male. So um, a person born biologically male, who takes on female gender roles in the community, at least, and often lives as a female in the community. So dresses as a female, wears their hair as a female, speaks the female version of the language, and basically presents in their life as a female. So it tells of how these people uh, were created by the deities for the special purpose of mediation between the people and the spirits. So in a battle between the Kachina spirits of the agricultural Zuni and the spirits of the enemy hunters, um, 
the Kachina spirit, um, the Ko Lahamana Kachina spirit was captured by these enemy spirits of the hunters and transformed into a man-woman being. And from this transformation, Ko Lahamana acquired peacemaking skills that allowed him, her, to understand both sides and mediate effectively. Through mediation, Ko Lahamana innovated a way for the different lifestyles of the hunters and the farmers to both be honored while allowing the people to live together peacefully. And the Zulus. In ancient Zulu creation mythology, there is a story of great spirit and great mother who lived with their two children, he-son and the androgynous she-son in the upper world. The humans lived in a fearful life tormented by monsters in the middle world. So great spirit and great mother felt compassion for humanity's plight and sent he-son to help. He slay the monsters, but the humans were not grateful. In their envy and jealousy, which, by the way, of course, is the source of most sorcery, envy and jealousy, they hung he-son. He-son journeyed through death to the lower world. So great spirit and great mother retrieved their he-son from the lower world, a bit irritated, but they decided that the pitiful humans needed one more chance and sent she-son to the middle world. The androgynous she-son taught the humans how to till the soil, plant, clean, cook the food, raise the animals. Um, Though these teachings saved the lives of the humans, they were overcome by jealousy again and killed she-son, and she-son journeyed through death to the lower world. Great spirit and the great mother and he-son withdrew from the humans, and this is why the Sangoma, the shamans of the Zulu people, um, can never speak to the great spirit directly, but must work with the intermediary ancestral spirits instead. So again, it's all about communication. She-son, however, remains available in the lower world, waiting until the humans stop the envy, jealousy, and fighting and choose peace. So for all of the conquering peoples of the um, civilized world, and I use that word in quotes, that part of their propaganda to dismantle the lives of the indigenous people they found was often to claim that their lives were barbaric. And we as contemporary people need to understand this because this misinformation floats in our collective consciousness. That many of these indigenous people and first people lived by standards of rigorous moral and ethical standards brought to them often by their first shaman. And we need to become aware of that because I believe it is only these teachings that will help us out of the mess we have gotten ourselves in today. So the teachings of the first shaman. So regardless of the shamanic culture in which we work, we are all contemporary humans. And indigenous or not, many of us awoke to our shamanic calling in a broken shamanic culture or in a dominant culture that no longer honors or recognizes a shamanic path. And yet our capacity to be a shaman has been with us since birth. So one of the shamans that I worked with in um, Ecuador tells the story of how her grandfather, who was a shaman, a great shaman actually, recognized her in her mother's womb and began teaching her 
when she was still in the womb, what she would need to know when she arrived in the world. And I listened to this story being translated as she told it to us while we were there. This woman whose you know, head probably came up to about my nose, and I'm not a very tall woman. It's this tiny little woman, huge power. Almost all of her power objects were rocks, big pile of rocks on her healing table. And I looked at her energy as I sat there and listened to her story, and I could see Well, I could see how coherent she was, how her energy was so clean and clear and coherent, really like the trunk of a tree. And I could feel how my story was so different, not only not recognized as a shaman. Hell, my culture still doesn't recognize me as a shaman, frankly, I mean, in a large sense. And, and, and the idea to have been recognized as a child and given what you needed all along the way to develop as a shaman was unbelievable. And I could see how coherent her energy was because of that. It's like she'd never experienced a distorting story to that truth of her life that she was a shaman. And as contemporary shamans, in America at least, we, our lives are filled with stories that distort that truth and reality, that, that shun it and humiliate it and diminish it. And it's a cop-out to say, oh, well, that's the path of the wounded healer. I mean, that's a cop-out because that's, that's not really the point of the wounded healer. What this is is a challenge for us as contemporary practitioners to walk the walk back to the first shaman of our lineage and risk the possibility that we aren't called to this. To risk the possibility that the only person in our, that thinks we need to be a shaman is our own ego. But we still need to walk that walk because we need to go to the beginning of that line and be recognized. We need to Go to the beginning of that lineage, whatever it is for us, and be welcomed. We need to find our way to the beginning of that lineage and be honored for who we are and recognized for who we are. And just like this story of this shaman in Otavalo, we need to be nurtured as shamanic practitioners, as shamans. Um, I just had an experience with my own student community um, of a ceremony, basically, of giving gratitude to the shaman. It's the first time we've done that, and I've been teaching now for over 20 years. And it was incredible. It was an incredible experience. I actually, I mean, it recently happened. I don't really have words for it yet. But I understand what the spirits meant when they said, you need to be nurtured as the shaman. You need to be cultivated. You need to be cultivated in that way. And that ultimately, of course, the shamans need to be trained. But when the spirits were telling me about this with the first shaman, it wasn't just about being trained in the skills. I mean, anybody can learn the skills in a weekend. That's part of the problem. They meant being trained to be a human. And in a sense, being trained to be more than human. And I don't mean that in an arrogant way. But being trained, well, for example, I was um, 
visiting another area and listening to the shamanic practitioners there and the teachers there. And they were talking about how, well, so-and-so used to be an advanced student, but, you know, they're an alcoholic and that's so hard to deal with. And so-and-so, you know, was almost done with the training, but they're this and that's hard to deal with. There's this, there was this acceptance of our contemporary woes and ailments as a given. And I don't buy that. It's part of our world and things that must be healed. But as the story says, you know, the, the, in, in, in the agreement, the shamans were given the power to heal the, heal the illnesses. Now, granted, the person has to want to heal. But these people are in shamanic trainings to be shamans. And their alcoholism is going to be overlooked. Their womanizing is going to be overlooked just because, well, it's a hard thing to deal with. It's an illness, people. Come on. It doesn't, if we are going to present as shamans in the world, we must rise to the moral and ethical standards of the first shaman in our lineage. And if we don't know what our lineage actually is, I mean, I don't. I mean, I didn't. Why would I? I didn't get brought into shamanism through a culture. But we must know because we must know what the moral and ethical teachings are of that first shaman. So for those of us that are contemporary practitioners, whether we are shamans in the sense of shamans working with clients and doing healing work or shamanic practitioners in the sense of core shamanism where, where we are all peers in this work and we do healing with each other and journey circles with each other and, we are, and, and, and shamanism is the core of our spiritual well-being, but we are, don't present professionally as that in the world. Either way, that's still con- – contemporary two aspects of contemporary shamanism so you know each of these issues to be recognized and welcomed and honored and nurtured and trained these um each of these is a path of healing that is needed for contemporary shamans so that their own wounding does not distort the perspective and the healing that they offer So we as the people practicing with others must retrieve the aspect of ourselves who stand waiting for recognition and acknowledgement, for being welcomed into the lineage, for being honored, nurtured, and trained. There are parts of ourselves that stand waiting. And I know this not only because of my own experience, because I have brought those parts back in soul retrievals. There are parts of ourselves that understand The contemporary American paradigm isn't anywhere near good enough to support a shamanic practice. That the moral and ethical standards are rigorous and extreme. And that we must do, we as the practitioners must do this essential healing work because these wounds create blind spots within ourselves. Now, of course, that's absolutely true for everyone. Where we are unhealed, we have blind spots. Um, and we, be, we are unconscious, we are unhealed, we are unconscious that we are unhealed, and thus we distort reality. And all humans do this. However, if we are shamans, if we are in any role in which we are translating the spirit world or spirit information here into the physical world, and we are distorting that reality, um, then we, we, we're distorting spirit reality and we're distorting ordinary reality here. And when we distort the realities, we are in danger of harming or limiting our clients and students. It's absolute imperative that people that 
position themselves in these roles in life go all the way, all the way to the first shaman. And good enough isn't good enough because our blind spots and all humans have them create distortion in the field. Our truths that we bring through from spirit are always mediated by who we are. And so we must be on a constant path of cleansing and healing and transformation and growth to continuously refine the filters that that information from the spirit world has to go through to get through us and out to the people. So I've thought a lot about this this year as um, as I've, well, I've experienced some things I've never experienced before as a person in my everyday life, um, like greed-based mortgage companies and um, some encounters in the legal system I would like to never um, have to deal with again. So I've experienced some aspects of regular contemporary American life. I've been uh, blessed to not have had to encounter until now. And that and and watching businesses close all around me and my own business start to flag because it's all about discretionary income and people don't feel they have that anymore. I've been watching this and watching how fearful people are and how much denial flies around and blame and judgment and projection. And it's been a hard year watching all of this. Not that there isn't great beauty, but as I think about this, this, this day, this day of the new year, this solstice day, I think about what could we do differently? What could I do differently? What could I offer that could meet this need that exists today? How do I, as a shaman, help people to return to balance? Because remember, this is how this all began. The humans on the earth were living out of balance with all the other living things. My whole life, the humans around me have been living out of balance with all living things. Uh, Me too. I'm just a regular American raised in public schools in Oregon doing the ordinary stuff. And yet the path with the first shaman has taught me to be a different person and to see the world in a different way. And, I, and I'm not remotely perfect because, of course, the first shaman wasn't human. And I am, but I am certainly aware of my human failings and what it means to be a human, what our weaknesses are, what our great vulnerabilities are, but also what is our greatness and magnificence. So with all this swirling around here at the end of the year on this auspicious day, what I have decided to do for this next year is to offer a training actually a healing, a path of healing for practitioners of the healing arts, for shamanic practitioners, but also for advanced journeyers, um, people, as I said, people where shamanism is the core of their spiritual life. Um, They just don't present in the world as shamanic healers. They're lawyers or doctors or candlestick makers or whatever they are, right? So for, for experienced journeyers, shamanic practitioners, and practitioners of the healing arts, to offer two courses um, in the first half of this year for you. So there will be no beginners, no one just learning how to journey. This is for people that are in, in the world 
with shamanism, one way or another. And one of the things I am going to offer is the first shaman. And it is, it is literally a way for each individual to encounter the first shaman of their lineage, whomever that might be. And it is often surprising and, and the solution of a great mystery, who that is in your life. And even if you're um, a practitioner of other healing arts, often there is a shaman in your lineage. Because in um, the lives of the first people, shamans worked in tandem often and certainly in community with other kinds of healers. Um, things were not as um, disconnected as they are for most of us today. And not all of us. There are certain places that have an truly integrative healing centers, but that's not true for most of us. And so this, this work of the first shaman is, is valuable for anyone presenting in the world as a practitioner of any healing art, you know, shamanic practitioner or just experienced uh, journeyer, um, practitioner of shamanism. So I will be offering the first shaman in two weekends. So there'll be a weekend to bring this healing up and some time for the healing path to unfold and a weekend to help things to culminate and um, integrate. Uh, so that class is going to be offered um, April 1st through 3rd and July 29th through 31st. And over the next few days, I'll make sure all this information gets up on my website, lastmaskcenter.org. Um, I haven't been paying attention. For all I know, people have been emailing in questions. Um, sorry about that. And then the second class that I will be offering uh, is the courageous heart, and we talked about this a couple weeks ago on the podcast. And this is an opportunity for um, the same group of people to do the clearing and healing work of the heart. That we often have one chamber of the heart wide open and ready to go, and that's the one that we work through. But usually, there's another chamber of the heart that is shut down. Often, we can't even get into it when we begin this work. And the other two chambers of the heart are somewhere in between. But for us to really do this work, as we are called to do at not only the standards of the morals and the ethical standards that we can look at in the first shaman, but the compassion and the love, it takes enormous courage, as I've said many times on this show, to act in love in the world. It is so much easier to not be vulnerable, to protect, to shut down, to defend, and to move from that motivation of guardianship. And that's not what we need right now in the world. We don't need to be stupid. We certainly need to protect ourselves. We don't need to be unaware or naive. But we must do what must be done with a courageous heart or we will be doing what has already been done in a new way. As my client said recently, new version of the same old crappy pattern. So if we as the shamans and we as the practitioners of healing arts are going to stand, as Tom Cowan talked about, at that conflux of challenging energies and find a way to a new kind of balance that is required for humans to live in the world in a, in a way of diversity and harmony, in a way of peace that allows humans the freedom to live and yet the freedom to live peacefully. If we are going to do this, people, 
those of us who are leading, those of us who are inspiring, have got to get there first because we cannot lead where we have not followed. So the first shaman is going to be offered in April and July, and at two weekends, and the Courageous Heart will be offered in February and June, again in two weekends. And these are going to be non-residential um, classes. You can stay in the International Hostel that's right near my home or the downtown Heathman uh, in style and luxury. I don't care. You can, you can make it as inexpensive or expensive as you want to. Um, the workshops will be about the work, and they will be here in Portland, Oregon. And as I said, more information will go up about these on the website here in the next few days. But the time is now. So if you're saying, wait, what about me? I'm just a regular person listening to the show. Um, I'm not one of those people. I can't take that class. I don't fit in that group. What about me? So this is what about you? So what if you choose to become your own shaman this year and work intentionally with the spirits to bring greater balance to your own life? To solve the disharmony within yourself through your own and to use that as the the challenge that you and your helping spirits can go at, that you can ask your helping spirits how to help you to heal that internal world. Because I'm available to help out. I do work long distance. I can help you. There are local shamans probably that can help you. But consider these three basics. This is what I offer to my community on an inexpensive ongoing basis. And the reason I do that is because I think they're basics for all of us. So for those of you that are just regular people listening to the show and you're thinking, I might take her up on that challenge. My New Year's resolution is to become my first shaman. And how do I begin to work with the spirits to create harmony in my own life, balance in my own life? So first, learn to journey. So the things that I offer regularly that are the basics to consider would be a regular journey circle where you can journey with peers. And um, that will support the development of your relationship with spirit. Um, I offer monthly shaman talks that encourage people at the talk to learn and, and about new things, to consider new things, and to go home and journey about them and to learn about them themselves. And I also offer weekly qigong to contain all of this energy and to understand deep self-care. And so those are the three basics that I think are important if you're going to take me up on my challenge to learn to journey and become your own first shaman for that personal uh, bringing balance into the people that you are within yourself. Um, and so, of course, in support of that, there are these weekly podcasts. And for these shows, I am deeply grateful to Co-Creator Network, to my ancestors for dreaming me into existence, for my students over the last 20 years who have given me um, many things to talk about with you all. For those of you that listen and share the show, that send your gratitude for the show to me, that send your donations, and also that send your questions. Um, so let's see what we can all do, no matter where we are, practitioner, journeyer, newbie, whatever, tired and ornery with all of it. Whoever we are, we are only going to be able to do this together. So let's see what we can do in the coming year to bring balance to our lives and to come into greater harmony with all living things. Thank you all for listening today. I give thanks to the ancestors for being with us here today for the earth below and the sky above and the big love those two create that we might know that this is the energy that we come from. And I give thanks to the heart that unites us all. Next week's show will be about vitality and the life force of your purpose. 
So I hope you'll join us next week. And for anything else about the show, you can go to whyshamanism.com. You're welcome to donate there. And more information about Christina Pratt and the classes being offered in the new year, you can go to my website, lastmasscenter.org. Thank you all.